How can we understand something as complicated as a war, an economic crisis? Who do we ask? Politics is too important to leave to experts. We're all affected by it, and we can't ignore it. You know more than you think, and you can learn what you don't know. I'm Justin Podor, and this is The Ossington Circle, a podcast to help you understand the world, and maybe even change it. Welcome to The Ossington Circle. I am very happy to be here in Toronto with Maria Paez Victor. Maria is a retired sociologist. I've known her for more than 15 years or something like that. She's a founding member of the Louis Riel Bolivarian Circle, and maybe we'll describe that a little bit uh, in a little bit. But she's also the, on the board of directors of a new think tank called the Canadian, Latin American, and Caribbean Policy Center. And the idea of the think tank... Maria, why don't you just tell us the idea of the think tank? Well, we noticed that there was a gap amongst the think tanks of Canada um, that there were few of them who were concentrating on what Canada's uh, foreign policy was towards Latin America. Uh, There are, there is one who is um, on the extreme right of uh, political spectrum. There's one in Calgary, and there's one downtown on Bay Street, if you can imagine. Um, They don't do very much, but every now and again they, they, they say something. Uh, but they are related to business uh, business concerns. And the progressive um, think tanks that there are are more concerned with the domestic policies of Canada. Okay. So we thought that we... Oh, you mean like the Canadian Centre for Policy that's Alternatives? That's right. That's yeah. right. Oh, well, excellent. Yeah. Um, but most of the time they are dealing with internal domestic uh, policies. And we thought that it was time that uh, we had a think tank that looked at Canada's uh, foreign policy and the relationships between uh, Canada and uh, the region of Latin America and the Caribbean. And we're going to focus on Venezuela in this discussion. Uh, You know a lot about Venezuela. Uh, I know a little bit about Venezuela. And I wanted to... You just came back from there. And maybe we can start with a question about... because, Because you're trying to present... Because this think tank is trying to work on Canadian foreign policy, if you read the Globe and Mail or the Toronto Star or look at CBC on Venezuela, Mm -hmm. you would get a picture that there's this dictatorship in Venezuela that's, and there's these opposition protesters that are trying to stop or stop this dictatorship. And for me, and you and I both know, and I think most of our listeners know that that's a pretty distorted picture, but I wonder... From from the point of view of this think tank, how can how do we how do you explain the kind of hatred and vitriol for the government of Venezuela that we see um, in the Canadian media? Well, first of all, the first thing I have to say about the Canadian media, with respect to Latin America, is that it's not a Canadian voice. Hmm. Uh, there are no um, media outlets in Latin America. There's there's not a newspaper, there's not a radio, there's not a TV ha- that has a Canadian reporter in Latin America. Every now and again they send somebody who goes down there for maybe three days and then comes back and thinks they know everything about it. So the news that Canadians receive from Latin America comes from, guess what, the United States, right. Reuters and the other um, media outlets. And so what Canadians are getting is the U.S. view of Latin America. 
And as you know, the, the U.S. view of Latin America is that it's their backyard. Right. You know? So they are extremely uh, on the right wing of the spectrum. Uh, they do not want independent countries. They do not want reformists. Every single reformist in all the Latin American countries has been opposed deep or deposed mm. by the United States. I mean, yeah. and some of them have been sort of mild social democratic um, sort of reformist kind of thing, I'm, you know, uh, let alone those who were more uh, left-wing. So I feel very upset and disturbed that Canadians don't have a view from which they could make a decision. I mean, I, I don't mind if Canadians say, I don't like this Bolivarian uh, government because of A, B, and C. Right. That's right. But I do mind if what they think is A, B, and C is really distorted and, and, and false and wrong and, and, and a lie. Right. So, so uh, before I finish, okay. I just yeah. want to say uh, one of the big things that they say is they say that uh, President Maduro, like they said about Chavez, as a dictator or as an authoritarian. Yeah. Well, in 18 years, there have been 20 elections in Venezuela, and two of them have been lost by the government. Right. When they, they accepted those. Accepted, losses. yes. And the as National Assembly was won by the opposition. They have the majority there. And yet, the president of the Assembly goes out through the world saying, this dictatorship, and saying, but hold on a minute, you're the opposition. Yeah. And you're the president of the National Assembly. You're not dead. You're yeah. not in jail. Right. Nobody's uh, uh, stopping you from coming here. And he's gone to the United Nations and to the Organization right. of American States. Right. So th this, is, this is a falsehood from whatever view you take of democracy. I wanted to go back to... Because this battle in Venezuela right now is over what's called Chavismo. And Chavistas, or people that are being mistaken for Chavistas, are actually being killed. There, there was one guy yes. that was lit on fire. There was another guy that was shot. And I think I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to listeners about what it is, what Chavismo is. And mm -hmm. I think for that, we have to go back to the 90s and talk about what happened, who Chavez was, what he was trying to do. Um, what the constitutional process that the so-called Bolivarians or the Chavistas put in place, mm -hmm. and and what the what the overall program was, mm -hmm. and is arguably in 1999 Venezuela uh, was a pathetic country because it had enormous it still has it, it is it has the greatest. Um, petroleum reserve in the world now, in the world, more than uh, Saudi Arabia. And yet, 80% um, of the people were, were poor. I mean, this is sort of shocking, but it was a terrible poverty. One third of the population was in extreme poverty. Um, a third of the population of children was in, had malnutrition. We had a huge amount of people dropping out of schools. Maybe the, the uh, average person went up to fifth grade school. There were only a handful of universities in the country. I think there were four. And um, and at the the, the the political situation as well. Mm -hmm. There was a power sharing agreement between these yes. two parties, AD yes. and Copay, mm -hmm. and they they sh they shared a 
they shared power through some fairly arcane constitutional arrangement yeah. that excluded other parties and other voices. They were completely supported by the media and, and protests. And the United States. And the United States. And protests against them, pro people who protested against them were actually thrown into jails, tortured, murdered, disappeared. Mm -hmm. So that was the political dispensation yes. into which the Bolivarians were entering. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. Uh, the Acción Democrática and ADE made a pact amongst themselves, actually with the United States. They first did it in New York, and then they came to Venezuela and uh, made this pact. Uh, they didn't tell the people that it was with the United States, but the United States, you know, you two are going to, you three actually were three, and then they got rid of the third one. And they proceeded to govern for 40 years. They governed exclusively in the favor of all the transnational corporations, as was the pact with the United States. This, this, this pacto de punto fio wasn't so much amongst them as with the transnational organizations represented by the Department of State. Um, it was a terrible time. Uh, the, the, I have newspapers that are blocked like this because they were censorship. Uh, people were killed, were tortured. Pe uh, uh, members of my family were killed and tortured, um, exiled. Uh, the sus there was suspension of guarantees, which means uh, whenever there were, because there were many uh, attempts to overthrow this government, and when these rebellions occurred, um, they would govern without the guarantees, which meant you didn't have the right to speak, the right to assembly, the right to this. They were suspended. Um, I think Betancur um, governed almost two years without, with the suspension of guarantees. Caldera did the same. Caldera, um, the social democrat, the, the, uh, um, it invaded the university. I don't know how many times. Uh, people were, as you said, um, if, they, if they messed with the government, uh, they were in terrible trouble. So it happened that these two parties became so corrupt the situation was so bad that by the time Chavez uh, tried to overthrow the government in uh, 1992, um, it was extraordinary because it failed. And he, and he said, well, I'll go before the cameras. Let me go mm -hmm. before the cameras so I can tell people to lay down their arms. And he said, I take full responsibility for this. First time in Venezuela that any politician had taken any responsibility for anything <laughs> and he became famous. He was sent to jail. But this is the extraordinary thing. When he did this, Venezuela's intelligentsia came out to defend him. Hmm. I remember um, Arturo, Arturo Uslar Pietri, which is the foremost intellectual, liberal intellectual that was there, said these weren't adventurers. These men did not do this because they wanted money or take power. They did it because of the corruption of the political state of this country that nobody believes in it. Right. So when he was led out of jail by, by a, a pardon, because he, it turned out that the prisoner was more popular than the president, uh, <laughs> Caldera, he ran for, for election. He ran for election. And let's just let's make a note there, because Chavez was a military man. He was a paratrooper. He was an instructor in the military academy. And I think I heard it from you, uh, but I've talked to lots of Bolivarians over the years, but I think it might have been you that was telling the story that when he came out of jail, 
people around him that he was talking to about what to do with this system, many of them were advocating an armed struggle. Mm -hmm. And he was the one who said, no, exactly. Uh, we're going to do it elect through the electoral route. That was his, 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 his view. He's, and people say, oh, you'll never win. Yes, we're going to win because he had this tremendous belief in the people. He was from the people, mm -hmm. you know. And they said, you don't have any money. It doesn't matter. We'll find the money. And on, on borrowed cars, hmm. he ran. Uh, 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 now, it is true. Some rich people gave him some money here and there. But he was really on a shoestring. And it just shows you, I mean, if he hadn't run. And this is, I, 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 it's hard to make predictions, but this is like a, a, a past prediction. If Chavez hadn't run and won that election, there would have been civil war in Venezuela because mm. the people had had it. Mm. They had been so, um, in such a state of misery. Mm -hmm. There was no belief in the institutions. So when he won, he actually, as I always say, he saved uh, a democracy, yeah. which, which is what he did. So um, he became president And he well, there are comparisons to Roosevelt and the New Deal that lots of people made. People said that mm -hmm. the like the left, the communist left, said that mm -hmm. Roosevelt saved capitalism, right? Because absolutely in the 30s there were these massive movements against yeah. the the big the yeah. big business in America. I, you know, very very good comparison there. There was going to be a social explosion in Venezuela, mm -hmm. and I remember speaking once to a middle class lady who said to me. I support Chavez because he's the one who has defended me from them. And she points out the poor, <laughs> poor. Whoa. She, she, she didn't mean it in a bad way. Right. You know, she, she didn't mean that defend me from them. It, it, she, she knew. Hmm. She knew right. that if he hadn't been there, those people there would have come and, you know, uh, taken out on, on whoever yeah. had, you know, And it wouldn't anything. have been in an organized way, and it no. wouldn't have been in a democratic way. or No, no, way. no, it would have been a bloodbath. So he, he, he becomes president, and he finds the cupboard bare. Right. The cupboard was bare. The Bolivar was at, I think, $7 or $6 a barrel. These people had, had absolutely stolen Everything that they could possibly have from the treasury, okay? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, instead of leaving, you know, as usually one, one president leaves the other, all these mm. papers saying these things are on nothing. They, he was left with nothing, not even a pen. So then he starts from uh, the scratch, and one of the first things he does, which absolutely appalled the United States and the transnational corporations is that he went around the world to speak with the OPEC countries. Mm -hmm. When we speak of Venezuela, we have to speak about petroleum because mm -hmm. all of this, all of that con the conflict that you see in Venezuela, all of this violence, it all has to do with petroleum. Right. If Venezuela had only potatoes, I always say to people, yeah. no one would give a damn what is happening in Venezuela. And what we see right now is the transnational corporations and their lobby, which exert, I would say, phenomenal uh, influence over the United States, the State Department, the Pentagon, the United States allies, the UK, uh, f France also. Um, we'll see what France does. Uh, and Spain. 
the transnational corporations are behind the conflict in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. Why do I say this? Because the way that petroleum companies are rated by the Americans, by the American Petroleum, uh, the American Petroleum Association, is according to how many reserves mm -hmm. they have access to. Right. And what is happening yeah. is that their reserves are dwindling. Mm -hmm. So the company in the world that has the greatest reserves is PDVSA. Oh, really? So it is, it is uh, potentially, it is richer than any corporation in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Why? Because Silicon Valley can't exist without petroleum. Right, right. Mm? Yeah. And petroleum are the wheels of our civilization as we have it right now. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm a great environmentalist, and you are too. And I hope and pray that alternative forms of, of energy are going to be found, are going to be developed, are going to be uh, important in our future. But they can't be without petroleum. There was a contradiction of sorts between a lot of what Chavez was trying to do because Chavez was actually trying in some ways uh, to create some alternative yes. and some in economic independence mm -hmm. from oil yeah. while simultaneously obviously having to operate in this international capitalist world. It's messy. Yeah. It's absolutely messy. He knew we can't we can't exist. This country can't go on because we've depended on petroleum for 40 years. There's no infrastructure here. Mm -hmm. There's no agriculture. There's, uh, the, the industry is import-export. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like a disastrous, yeah. right? Yeah. So he knew that for now we needed this to sell this petroleum. But he was the first president of Venezuela to talk about what happens when we run out of petroleum. No mm -hmm. other president mm -hmm. in the world would have said, we're going to run out of petroleum. You know, people would have been... But he said it. We will run out of petroleum. The world will run out of petroleum. What will we do? Mm -hmm. And uh, Arturo Usler and many industrialists had said that before. We have to, we have to sow petroleum. But, you sow know, oil, yeah. nobody did it. Nobody did it, right? <laughs> so... He um, yeah, and in that in that kind of industry, it's not entirely up to one country, even a country with as no. many as much oil as Venezuela. Because I do think part of what happened, part of what explains the upsurge of opposition in recent years in Venezuela, is the that big drop in the price of oil mm -hmm. when, when the Saudis decided a few years back to just pump like crazy, mm -hmm. and it hurt all the other countries that that were on the U.S. target list, Russia, Russia. Iran, Venezuela, were mm -hmm. all hurt really badly by that. That was done because the United States discovered fracking and discovered yeah. that if, if OPEC, um, you know, cut down, mm -hmm. uh, it would affect Russia. So it's going to throw the stone and it's going to hit two things. It's going to help our fracking and it's going to affect Russia. I mean, yeah. this whole thing of Ukraine yeah. was because yeah. they were targeting Russia. They didn't want Europe yeah. to get... Uh, Russian um, petroleum, the famous line of this horrible woman, what was her name? Um, who, 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 when they were doing the coup, she said, you know, the hell with, with the Europeans, only she used a, hor a more horrible word because they knew that what they wanted was the petroleum. So this whole geopolitical map that's going on is about petroleum. The invasion of Libya, the invasion of Iraq, what they're trying to do with Syria, 
Uh, all of this mm -hmm. is due to the powerful transnational um, petroleum companies. And huh? when, when we were, you know, when we met, you were working on Venezuela, of course, and I was working a lot on Colombia. And the Colombian analysts that I talked to in the early 2000s, when Plan Colombia was, mm, was yeah. this big plan that, for expanding the counterinsurgency in Colombia, a lot of them were saying, Venezuela is the real target of all this. Mm. The real target of all this is, is to put big military presence on Venezuela's border and provoke. And there were provocations. Mm. There were Still big are. arms purchases, paramilitary mm -hmm. incursions. Um, seven bases. They've got seven U.S. bases in Colombia. Right. Before. Right. And they've got one in Curaçao. Uh, and they've got one in uh, Aruba, I think. And, of course, they've got Guantanamo. Mm. So... They are circling Venezuela. So to sow, let's get back to Chavez, though, because, mm -hmm. you know, the, yeah. the good side of the story. So sowing the oil, there was, there, on the Democratic side, there was this constitutional process, um, and they really did emphasize that they're, that tried, tried to channel opposition through that constitutional process. So there was a recall referendum. I was in Venezuela during that mm -hmm. referendum. Mm -hmm. um, there were these, but then on the social and economic side, they encountered a lot of opposition to trying to create a healthcare or improve the healthcare system for people, to improve the education system for people. So they created these alternative institutions called Missiones. the missions. Yeah, mm -hmm. can you talk a bit about the mission? Um, Chavez was confronted with the bureaucracy, yeah. a state bureaucracy that they all hated him. Mm? Yeah. They, they, these people had been there forever. They were either copellanos or, or, or adecos, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, who was this? a mestizo because he's half black and half Indian from nowhere. How dare he be the president of Venezuela, right? So he would say, let's do something. And, oh, no, Mr. President, we, we, we can't give, uh, you know, health to the people because there's no money and this and that. Yep. So it so happens that the president's office gets a, a budget. Right. There's a budget that goes straight to, to the right. presidency. He said, "Oh, we've got. We're going to use this money." Right. At first, and of course, you know, he went around and he and he and he and he got the price of oil up. Right. right. This enraged the yep. petroleum companies. It enraged the United States. That was the first thing right. that they got that they didn't like about him. And then he said, one of the things that just hurt him most of all was to see that the people couldn't get medical service. You'd have to go to a big hospital in, in the city and you had to wait for hours and there were two, three women to a bed. I mean, this was horrendous. So he called the Venezuelan um, doctors and he said, we're going to have a, 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 a humanitarian mission. We need you to come so that you can... Well, 53 of them showed up. <laughs> 53... Uh, good doctors in the country showed up and said, sure, we'll go up to this. Uh, right. city. The others were there, are you crazy? I'm not going to go into the barrios. Right. So he made a deal with Cuba. Right. And this was a jewel of a, of a mission. Because the Cubans, I don't have to tell you what experts they are in medicine, how they've given medicine to half of the Caribbean and, 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 and Africa. And they established Barrio Dentro. Barrio Dentro became... In, 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 in uh, Venezuela, uh, at first there was no actual um, building. They would live 
in the house of someone in the barrio. And that happened through the participation of the people. So they would, the first thing they had to do was have a committee, and the committee of the barrio went around, oh, the, the doctor needs a table, and let's find a table, and the doctor needs this, and the, they were the secretary, they were the nurse, they were everything of the doctor. And eventually, and I, when I spoke with some of these um, uh, uh, committees, I asked them, what's the hardest thing? What is the most important thing that you have to do? He says, the most important thing I have to do is to convince people to go see the doctor because all the news and all the radio is saying that they're going to brainwash them. And many people actually thought that they were going to do something to their brains. They were going to turn them into Marxist-Leninists. Now, this was the constant thing. Don't go to a Cuban doctor. They're going to brainwash you. They're going to turn you into a raving lunatic Marxist-Leninist. Okay? Now, this sounds funny. Well, it, it, it does, it, it, but it doesn't because, you know, we, you know, we were there together, I think, yeah. in 2007. I was there in 2004. And, and people who, once they figured out I was from Canada and a journalist, they would take me aside and they would say, ¿Sabes qué? Aquí manda Fidel Castro. <laughs> you know, they were just like, I get this thing where they would whisper to me yeah. that, you know, it was uh, there's all this communist conspiracy yeah. going on. So, and, yeah. and I'll tell you another funny thing. Chavez, again... <laughs> an environmentalist, the first present environmentalist that we've ever had, um, wanted people to use the new the new bulbs, yeah, the, the new safe... Yeah. Uh, I don't the know. LED bulbs. Uh, right. Yeah, they last uh-huh. longer. So longer. what was the rumor? Don't let them... Because oh. the, people would come to your door and said, we have these bulbs, right. we'll change them for you, these yeah. are better for the environment. They said, don't do that because... That's how the Cubans spy on you. <laughs> right. So people would be would be talking to the bulb. Hello, Fidel. How are you? <laughs> Fidel. <laughs> As a joke, you know. Save us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this was a great joke. As I said, they invent all these things. But the the point is that today, ninety five percent of the people in Venezuela have access have have quick access to a doctor. So Barrio Adentro, there was a literacy program that also worked very well. With the Cuban uh, method, it was called Josi Puedo, which you didn't need a school. You didn't even need a teacher. What you needed was someone in your neighborhood who knew how to read and write. Mm-hmm. And they would be given a book and a, and a video. And with this book and video, he would invite his, his, his friends to come who didn't know how to read and write to learn how to read and write. And people would come in the evening. Um, this is really great because people are tired. They can't, after dinner, go out to a school, to, you know, night school and whatever. They just go, oh, to my friends. And so they go to their friends, and through that that uh, fantastic uh, program, Venezuela got rid of literacy, and I don't say it. The United Nations says it. And the same program was used in Ecuador. The same program was used in, in, um, in Bolivia. And these countries now have... well. You, well, no country has zero uh, illiteracy, you know. Uh, Canada has zero illiteracy. Exactly. You know, there are some people who have uh, mental disabilities who will never learn how to read and all. So the point is, if you have, I think, 1.5% uh, who, who of illiteracy, your country is considered free of illiteracy. When I said this to a, par- uh, a parliamentary uh, committee in parliament who was studying human rights in Iran and Venezuela, oh, so you Iran can imagine, okay? Of course. <laughs> so you, right. you, you, you get yeah. as to where they're coming and from. That, and of course the Saudi uh, kingdom oh, no. on the United Nations <laughs> Committee for Human Rights, so they, they're yeah. in the position to tell you who yes. has human rights and That's who doesn't. Right. Where women can't even drive a car. Mm-hmm. 
So when I was there and I said that there's no illiteracy in Venezuela, you know, they, 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 they queried me and I told them why. This, they were quite astounded. So Chavez did this. He, he worked on the education, free education, from, from nursery school to, to, to university. I always say, if a country which is poor compared to Canada can have free university, why can't we? If a country like Venezuela, which is poor, can have a, 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 a national um, uh, daycare program, why can't we? So these are the kind of things that he did. Um, the other thing that he did is that he helped the campesinos, which are the rural workers. Uh, he started a, a real um, uh, agrarian reform, which we hadn't had before. Um, so, And that was that's an interesting underreported thing that happened, too, because... I, and you found this too, I think. In Venezuela, under Chavez, the communities that were most able to take advantage of the new services were the better organized communities. Oh, yes. And so peasants were, who wanted access to this kind of program had to start by organizing themselves. Mm -hmm. And in these areas, in these rural areas, especially I think Sulia and some of the provinces are, that were controlled by the opposition, mm -hmm. a lot of Chavistas were getting killed even then, right? Oh, yes. Rural activists were getting shot by landlords and rural kind of It's about notables. 600 of them already who right. have been killed. The, yeah. the landowners in Venezuela are immensely rich, immensely powerful, and they are... Um, Apatridas, how do I say that? People who are not patriotic right. because they Traitors. are in cahoots with the paramilitary across... across. Yeah. They don't do the killing. Right. They don't dirty their hands with blood. Right. They give money to the paramilitaries and then these right. walk into a, 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 a poor man's house and terrorize their family and kill their father. Yeah. I mean, this is what they've done. 600 of them as far as I had the count. Um, the... What Chavez said is that we need an organized people. Yeah. And the venue for that organization were the communal councils and the communes. The communes is the union of several of the communal councils in an area. And that started out as, you know, people, you know, poo-pooing uh, it. This has turned out to be the backbone of the Bolivarian Revolution because it means that, let's say I live in High Park, every person who lives in High Park is a member of the Communal Council. They aren't elected. You're, you go in there because that's your right. Yeah. And all the needs of your area are, 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 are identified by this uh, Communal Council and it receives money directly from the government and the municipality has to work with the communal council. This, of course, uh, put a lot of people's nose out of joint because the greatest corruption has been in the local areas. <laughs> that's, you know? here, that's same here, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the municipal yeah. councils, the small mayors, yeah. you know, no one's watching them, you know. So Chavez would say, we're going to get rid of that corruption because there's going to be millions of eyes watching them now. Mm -hmm. So it has been wonderful. Um uh, I just give you an example. My sister lives in a rural area, in a smaller city, in the interior of the country, by, actually by the sea. And my sister is a middle-class woman, and she belongs to a communal council. And there, uh, who have become her buddies? The fishermen, mm -hmm. the artisans, right. 
The woman who sells empanadas in the corner, hmm? uh, the, the doctor of the area, uh, some of the teachers, and many of the artists. So, and by the way, the great majority of members of the communal councils all over the country are women. Right. They overwhelm them. And this is really, <laughs> really fabulous. Yeah. Okay? And, and so the communal councils and the communes have been seminal, as you say, for having an, a, a real efficient agrarian um, um, uh, reform. Because before it was this individual thing that they tried to do in the 1970s, which is absolutely no good. So Chavez did all of these things, enraged the United States. Uh, One of the things that enraged the United States is that he threw out of every um, military headquarter the representative of the U.S. Army. There was a representative of the U.S. in every headquarter. Um, So by the 2002 came along... They did a coup against him, as you know, and the people and the army brought him back. Mm-hmm. Um, That's just an incredible story. There's a film, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, in case, in case anybody missed that film. <laughs> Get it's an it. Incredible, you've never seen a film like this because the, the people who were filming were not intending to film a coup. They were just intending to interview Chavez, and they just happened to be there when the coup occurred. So it's just footage you would never expect anybody to ever get it's an incredible film and it was just two young Irish uh, couple who were doing that it's as if someone had been there filming the (laughs) taking of the Bastille you know (laughs) sort of taking the Bastille then you see what the opposition does in the 12 minutes that they get us <laughs> yes. in power. Oh, we abolish the Constitution. We undo everything. We undo, you know, we are, we're going to arrest everybody. Yes. And then you get to see them all <laughs> get well, arrested. you know, the alternative to the Bolivarian Revolution is a state of terror. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw mm-hmm. this in Chile. Yeah. Get rid of Allende yeah. and kill and torture anybody yeah. who was on his side. Yeah. A, a complete state terror with Pinochet. So... Chavez did, the thing that Chavez did that upset me the most was what he did in 2013, which was, he died. And uh, I kind of, I got so depressed that I didn't pay attention to Venezuela for a while. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you know, catch me up, what... What, what kind of continuities and what kind of mm-hmm. changes happened after between 2013 and today? 2013. Yeah. I'll explain to you why the opposition won the assembly, mm-hmm. the National Assembly. Because Chavez died, and I have to tell you, we all believed that he was going to get well. Mm-hmm. I think it was Probably fear. he believed it. Yeah. Even he believed it. It was the fear. No, he can't die, you know. Yeah, exactly. He can't die. No. You know, he's going to get well. It doesn't matter if he's not completely well. Even if he's in a wheelchair, yeah. you know, he'll, he'll be there. Yeah. Roosevelt was in a wheelchair. Yeah. So he died. And it was truly a shock for everyone. Yeah. And the Constitution says that when a president dies or he's incapacitated or resigns or whatever, in 30 days, there must be another election. Chavez had said, "Please, if I uh, well, if I go, please elect, you know, uh, Maduro." He didn't say this is going to, but he he made a plea. So Maduro, who had been a a public uh, servant, right. had never been a politician to go out and campaign. Mm-hmm. 
There was no campaign. Right. Who was going to try and and do the paperwork of a campaign while he was alive? It was like, oh, right. you're planning right. for your father's death, you yeah. know? No, no, I, I I don't want my father yeah, to die. die. You know? yeah. So there was no plans for an election. Right. Capriles, who has been campaigning year after year and losing, <laughs> he already had his yeah, plans. Place. Yeah. And he had all the, uh, uh, the power of the... Uh, Ad companies helping him. Mm-hmm. And poor Maduro had to start in 30 days yeah. to make this, and, he, and, and you know, it was disastrous. Yeah. And, and, and the money had gone down because of the uh, thing, and they appealed to them and said, he's no good, he's not going to, so they won the assembly. Since then, Maduro has had to withstand a, an opposition which not even Chavez had to withstand. Mm. It has been the greatest opposition that we, we hadn't even imagined that could have been possible in Venezuela. Mm. All of this has been thrown against Maduro. And, of course, uh, the opposition says, Maduro's not Chavez. Well, who could be Chavez? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Chavez was the charismatic leader. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Power es- I mean, essence. We, okay? we, we've all sat and listened to Chavez talk for four hours yeah. and four hours go by and you're like wow it's over already he's done it's like Fidel who can be, who can be like <laughs> yeah, Fidel that doesn't happen and who can stand up and try to be like Fidel you're an idiot if <laughs> yeah. you, you try to do that yeah. so so you know Maduro's the first one to say look I I'm not I'm not Chavez I'm his son his political son I'll try to do this and so he's a very humble man really uh, Maduro, he's, he's the in bus driver. They throw the, it in his face oh, all the time, right? He's the a bus, bus driver, driver. You yeah. know, the bus driver. So anyway, um, he has had the fury of the empire thrown at him at moments where the economy was really failing. Now, we can talk about the economy, and we can talk about the inflation, and we can talk about supply and demand, and we can talk about monetary policies. These are the kinds that you would normally talk about yeah, in and, a normal country. And then you could mm-hmm. have a legitimate criticism yeah. of the way they've handled certain things, of right? Course. Like the currency. Of course. Oh, why, why, why is it two, two, two prices and they could yeah. do this and they could do that? And this would be the normal thing. Right. But it's not normal. Right. It's not normal because you can't understand what's happening in Venezuela without thinking of the, because the, it's the like, intervention. It's like, oh, there are long lineups at the supermarket. Let's get rid of these people and kill them all yeah. and torture them and hang the president from the streets and set people on fire. Yes. Like, that's not a proportionate response no. to a supply and demand or an inflation no. or a currency problem. And, and I'm not denying the, the, yeah. these economic sort of uh, processes. But, for example, if you go to Cuba and say, look at these streets, look at these houses, they're not even painted, mm-hmm. look at these people that can't even get, you know, mm-hmm. the latest cornflakes, you know, yeah. this is a failure of socialism, and you don't talk about the blockade. The embargo, yeah. The embargo, yeah. okay? Yeah. So this is the same thing with Venezuela. You can't understand the economy of Venezuela if you don't realize that, first of all, there's a, 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 a financial blockade on Venezuela. Venezuela couldn't ask for a, you know, a loan, except from Russia and China, because nobody else would give it to them. Um, Venezuela has timely, in a timely fashion, paid its external debt. And 
no, and before, you know, the date, they're all saying, oh, it's going to default, it's going to default, there's no money in Venezuela, it's going to default. And along comes the government and pays. Mm -hmm. The very next day, those agencies that give the, the rating, mm -hmm. the risk rating, put the risk higher. It's the only country in the world that pays, and yet yeah. they say that the risk is higher. Mm -hmm. Now, if that isn't a conspiracy, I don't know what is. Um, then, of course, there's the dollar today, which is on the other side of the border in Colombia. Yeah. Okay? That's the black market. And, of course, we have the, um, the internal um, situation where they have warehoused food. Yeah. They have taken food out of the... Uh, actually, it isn't food. I have a friend who's involved with the, um, uh, with the um, ad companies. And they went to this meeting, the ad companies and the very big corporations, and they came out with the idea, what are the products that most affect women? Mm -hmm. And they came up with toiletries, uh, um, diapers. They came out with, if you could believe it, things to paint your nail, nail, nail po polish, and yeah. nail polish and the thing to take it off, um, cosmetics, uh, all the things, oh, it, things for washing in the house, all the things that, that women use, those are the ones that were not in the supermarkets. Mm. Then, of course, the food, arena pan, to make the arepas, which is the, the bread, the cornbread. What did uh, the extraordinary, rich, absolutely rich man, Ferna uh, uh, Lorenzo Fernandez, do? He took his company and he went to Colombia. Mm. Took it completely out. Right. So it's all the arena pan now is made in, in Colombia. So they did this in order to create, um, uh, you know, a bad feeling amongst people that they couldn't get the food and all that kind of stuff. So when all this is happening... And the, the black market, just, just to for readers to understand, because it mm. took me a long time to understand what was going on. Mm. Venezuela provides, the state provides... Uh, subsidized stores where you can buy subsidized food um, and what was going on was people smugglers were buying it at the subsidized rate taking it across to Colombia and selling it for much more which is which mm -hmm. was the price there and so people were unable to get their expected goods uh, because of this yeah this full scale full-scale corruption yeah. it didn't work yeah. they cotton on what we have to do is empty the Bolivarian yeah. supermarkets and, and little grocery stores, which right. they did. Right. So, and they made big money. They would go sell it in, in Colombia. But even worse is that uh, some of these companies, for example, the milk companies, would fill their, their tanks with milk and just drive outside the city and empty it. Out. Empty it. Uh, others would have uh, people in motorcycles go across the border and just dump the food. I mean, some... They didn't even need the money to sell it, mm. you know. So what the government did was say, right, we close them, close them all. Yeah. And what ha it has had great, um, uh, you know, um, success has been the clap. <laughs> I know it sounds funny, mm. but the clap are these bags of everything that you would need for a month, and uh, you buy at a, a subsidized at, at cost. Yeah. Yeah. And that has been great, really yeah. successful because you can't get two of them. You can only get yeah. one. Yeah. And so you have to sign up for them and all this kind of stuff. 
Um, so this same thing happened in Chile. We, our Chilean friends here showed us a movie of what was happening in Chile at the same time, and they, they did the same then. Mm -hmm. They tried to um, starve the population yeah. and not give them food and not give them all of this, and then say it's the, the fault of the socialist in you know, their, um, their presidency. So right now, what we are seeing, apart from this, is the violence on the streets. Yeah. Can we go back again? So mm -hmm. we told the story of Chavez. Mm -hmm. And I, l let's go back through the past couple of decades and just talk about, talk through the story of the opposition. So at every stage, the initial election, the constitutional referendum, and then leading up to the coup, mm -hmm. the opposition was trying to mobilize electorally to try to beat Chavez. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty much unstoppable momentum for Chavez. So they tried this military coup, but even that didn't work. Mm -hmm. So then after that, there was this national strike. So they mm -hmm. had a core of people in the oil company yeah, the that company. at the upper middle and upper levels of the oil company that mm -hmm. opposed Chavez enough mm -hmm. and, and the program enough to try to bring the whole industry to a halt. Mm, they did. And it was devastating and to the did. economy. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> Chavez again responded by nationalizing, right? R nationalizing parts of the company that hadn't been national. Or what, what, no, was, this, what was the response? No, it was already it, a nationalized company. It was already a national. Okay. Now. I'm just trying. How did, yeah. how did so many of the Venezuelan oil managers end up in Canada and in, in the oil patch in they're, Calgary? They're over there in, in, in Calgary. Yeah. This is what happened in 1978, I think it was, Carlos Andres Perez. I'm not sure about the, the date. Carlos Andres Perez, with you know, great pomp, nationalized the, um, the oil. Now, what what imperial nationalist, I mean, imperial corporation uh, hands over its reserves and, you know, its, its, its contracts reserved to a national company and is very happy and, uh, and congratulates the country, you know, and says, we remain friends. Something fishy there. Huh? <laughs> what they did was, uh, like... Uh, like the magician that has these three little beans and these three little cups and tells you, where's the little bean? What they did was they changed the names of the Creole and the Exxon and whatnot to Lagoven and, uh, and all of these things. And the general manor, managers who had worked for the uh, foreign companies remained general managers for PDVSA, mm -hmm. okay? And so nothing was changed except the name. These people were now in PDVSA, and they called themselves the merit, meritocra meritocracy. Meritocracy. Meritocracy, which means that we are apolitical. We are just men of industry, mm. you know. The full-scale just robbery that went on. For example, you were the you were the uh, the uh, the manager for say transportation, mm. but you also owned the transportation company 
Trans- that was trans. I mean, there was one. Je- je- there was one manager. You won't believe this. Who owned a boat, an oil tanker, and this oil tanker would meet the PDVSA oil tanker in international waters, and the oil would go to his oil uh, boat ship. I mean, this is the kind. This isn't like oh, I took a little bit of money here and there. Mm. This is full scale uh, corruption. So one of the things, the, the reason they did, they did the the oil uh, lockout, was because Chavez changed the board of directors. How dare he? How dare he change? We will not accept this this board of directors. So we lock out. Mm-hmm. That was it. Now, of course, Chavez had absolutely every right to change the the board of director. That was that was the uh, the right of the government to do that. And right? they were also preventing revenue from getting to the programs and. What did we find out? We found out that you know it was really strange. It was like this is Venezuela's uh, budget, and PDVSA's budget was larger right. than the budget that the Venezuelan government had. And this budget was used according to whatever they wanted to. Now, I must say, the the saving of PDVSA is a wonderful story because it shows you the roots of the Bolivarian Revolution. When these people are locked out, uh, lock everyone out, the government says, no, you can't do this, you know, we have to open them, and they go in there and they open the thing, and all the middle managers... And the managers were gone. So engineers who had retired, old guys, mm. came and said, we'll come. <laughs> and the worker says, well, we don't need a manager. We know what we have to do. Uh-oh. So the workers mm-hmm. with some of the retired engineers came out this to save. This is 2003, 2003. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It started in 2002, went on to 2003. So then what happened was that they found that this is a very technological um, mm-hmm. uh, um, industry. The opposition was laughing at them. Those patas en el suelo, which means these poor mm-hmm. sort of ragmuff, ragamuffins, they won't know, ha, 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 there's going to be explosions and there's going to be mm-hmm. accidents and they don't know how to do this, right? Well, the central computer for, the, for this industry, uh, they took the passwords. They couldn't even pay those workers who came to work because the government, you know, it was day after day saying to the workers, please come, please come, we need you, we need you to save PDVSA, you know, telling them to come. And so they were working. Couldn't pay them because they had none of the passwords. This is really a a big thing, as you you know. So you know what the government did? It went to the university, to the students who were Mm -hmm. studying um, uh, uh, computer, science. computer science and these young men 20 years old a whole bunch of them came and they found how to hack into this and saved PDVSA wow. they were absolute heroes the people in where's the Hollywood movie about that well, really <clears throat> amazing the, the people in Puerto La Cruz which is a big refinery Mm-hmm. The boat was there, this boat that was named after a Miss Venezuela, you can imagine. This boat, the, the captain said he was, wasn't, he was in rebellion, he wasn't going to do this. Mm. And so the first mate took, 
took him prisoner and said, I take over the boat, right? right? right. And he took over the boat and saved it. That guy was another hero. Right. The refinery in Puerto La Cruz, Puerto La Cruz is where my sister lives, so I can, I'm telling you because I got an eye, eye view from her, right? A, a witness. Uh, the, the rumor said that uh, they were going to go and explode, uh, put explosions in the refinery. Oh. The people of Puerto La Cruz went out and holding hands, mm. stood there for days around the refinery protecting it. Right. So there's so many heroic stories. Um, I love the story of, 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 of Chavez. I heard this from Chavez's mouth. He, he said this when I met him, how he's walking around. He said, you know, I really thought this was it with, mm. with the petroleum um, yeah. lockout. He, he thought, you know. They got us. They got us. And so he said, I've got to go speak to the people. And you know how he was. So he goes walking in a barrio. His solution is always know, to speak at length to the people. <laughs> to go out and see these people. i got to go out and speak to the people. I've got to go out and see them. And there was this little old lady who sees him go by and says, Chavez, you know how people talk to yeah. Chavez, you come up here, Chavez. Come up here. And he goes up to her. This is a wretch. Yeah. And, and she has a fire there. Right. And he says, look at the fire. I'm making this fire to make... You see what's in there? It says, my last chair. Oh, That's my last yes. chair. And she says to him... Then she, he says, she, he, she grabbed me by the lapel and shook me. Hmm. And he said, don't you give up. <laughs> don't you give up. Right. And he said to me, at that moment, I knew we would win. Hmm. It was so lovely to hear him say that. Right. I knew then that I would win because I got the energy from this little old woman who had just broken up her chair. So the people were heroic, absolutely heroic. They saved PDVSA, and right now PDVSA is uh, loved because uh, wherever there is an installment of PDVSA, they do things for the community. Uh, The money, all that money that they used to use because their their, uh, employees would go on vacations, have two and three cars, have money for houses, which they didn't even have a a mortgage for, all of these things now go into the social, uh, 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 you know, social investment. So you'll see a school, and the school will say, this school was set up by by PDVSA. Which means the money from the and the uni- Universidad Bolivariana de Venezuela is in some of these old PDVSA buildings, yeah, right? Uh, absolutely, and the University of the uh, of the Cadets. There's a, a University for Cadets, and that used to be the Creole. Hmm. Uh, so um, all of a sudden, the people say <laughs> there was one woman who says. I am getting a little bit now of our oil. <laughs> this one woman said, I am now getting a little bit of Pedas, the oil. Yes, un pedacito de ese, de ese petróleo. <laughs> because this, yeah. now this, was, this was not what these transnational corporations want. They, 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 want, they, they weren't uh, happy. The child says, you can work in Venezuela, 40% you, 60% the government, you know, no. private public. Yeah. No, that's not enough. They yeah. need the whole yeah. the whole hog. And so Overreach. they thought that Maduro was weak. Mm-hmm. They saw Maduro's not the charismatic leader yeah. and he's not. Uh, he's gone. This is the moment to right. zone in and go after him. Yeah. And this is what they have done. And, and when, especially when he lost the assembly, right. said, oh, he's really weak. Well, what has the opposition done since then? 
They won the assembly. They arrive at the assembly. By the way, the president of the assembly arrived that day in the limousine of the U.S. embassy with the U.S. embassy um, uh, uh, charged the fair because there's no ambassador next to him. Mm. What more do you want? Yeah. What, what, what sim symbolism is this? So he arrives, and what a chance. My goodness, the opposition had the assembly. They could have started making uh, laws. Yeah. They, could have, they could have governed. Yeah. The, the and purpose, Maduro had said, I'll work with them. Yes, of yeah. course he did. Yeah. The assembly, Ramos Alup said, the reason we are here is that we're going to overthrow Maduro, and in six months he's out. Yeah. This it's an entirely negative is what program. Yeah. He was going to do yeah. in the assembly. They have nothing. They have nothing to offer except we're going to get rid, rid of, of the other guy. Yeah. So, if they had two thirds, they did. They, they had the majority, but not two thirds. If they had two thirds, they could actually it do everything or whatever it is. Yeah. But for that, they needed these three people, representatives from an indigenous state, Amazonas, hmm. which they've got the, uh, the evidence of them speaking on the phone, uh, how they bought all these votes, how they gave these people thousands of dollars. It isn't like, you know, you're going to get yeah. 20 bucks. And all of this on tape. Hmm. So they said, uh, the, the, yeah. um, the, the, the um, Supreme Court said these people are inadmissible because the electoral um, uh, committee, which is run, it's like Elections Canada, says no, they were, they were blatant irregularities right. for these people. Right. They cannot go, they cannot be members of, of, of the parliament. Uh, they have to, there has to be a, you know, a trial for yeah. these people. And the Supreme Court supported that. The Assembly said... Too bad. We're not going to listen to the Supreme Court. Can you imagine? Right. Even even Trump listens to the right. Supreme Court. Right. And so, again, the, the Supreme Court, you know, again appealed to them, said, look, if, if, you, if you make decisions with these three people there, they anything that you do is not valid. Right. You, will, you are in rebellion. Yeah. So they, they're declared... You know, so nothing that they do. They can't right. do anything. They can't. Nothing, nothing. Right. The, so, so, so he actually killed the National Assembly because of his stubbornness yeah. of insisting that three, these three people were there. And then they also tr tried to do a recall referendum. And similarly, it, their petition was <laughs> yes. highly irregular. And they, they said they were going to do a, a, a recall referendum. And uh, the opposition, in fact, was divided. Okay. So they missed the deadline. They missed the deadline. They missed the deadline. And the and deadline is in the constitution. The deadline's in the constitution. Yeah. And all the powers said, look, you should have you should have done this and you didn't do it. Part of the opposition didn't want the referendum because if they got rid of Maduro, they would get the vice president. Right. So it was the same thing. Right. So some were they were fighting with each other, they missed the deadline, they couldn't do it. So what you have had here during these years, is that the opposition has shown itself to be corrupt. Mm -hmm. Several of them already have been caught with money and things like this. Oh, and totally, um, what do you call it, rejectionist? Is that the word? Totally. Well, 
inefficient. Negation. They haven't they haven't proven that they can govern. Yeah, they Th- there's been no government by them. The yeah. same thing uh, Capriles in his uh, uh, governorship. He's he's governor of half of the city because it's on his jurisdiction, and that in his jurisdiction where there's more crime. Mm-hmm. And his jurisdiction is where the, the streets are, you know, falling apart. In his mm-hmm. jurisdiction, all these, all these social problems are there. Mm-hmm. So they have proven to those who, you know, may not, be, you know, complete chavistas, you know, complete chavistas. You'll never go, reach yeah, us. You, know, yeah. but, <laughs> you but, can't do anything about yeah, that's people right. like us, right? Yeah, but the people who might have thought, you know, well, they, they might be, uh, they've proven that they are complete imbecilic. In in leading a government that uh, an opposition, they could say we might be better off with these people, you know, right. and and they have. This is what Maduro has shown. He has shown tremendous fortitude yeah, resi- in kind of resilience. resilience. Yeah. But he came to the end with this um, terrible conflict. Mm-hmm. on the streets mm-hmm. because they are not peaceful demonstrations yeah. they are not students you know this isn't the youth like there's a, a there's a big um paper in 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 the uh, in the guardian for heaven's sake the guardian oh, don't. how could the guardian do this look the guardian i mean if you've been Young following what the guardian has been doing about corbin i don't think this is any surprise we have been subscribers of the guardian for years mm. peter wrote to them last last uh, a couple of weeks ago and he uh, he said to them i i don't want your subscription anymore for Ouch. what you have tried so we're moving towards this constitutional these constitutional changes mm-hmm. and before we get into those i did read what i thought was an interesting article about criticizing the Bolivarians for not trying to make these changes to empower the communes more um, back when they had mm-hmm. a majority in, you know, ma- majority in the Asamblea. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they, they now they're on the defensive. They don't have the majority. These protests are going on. The conditions are much worse. And mm-hmm. I, how do you, what do you think of that? Well, I, I do wish that when they had the majority, they could have done many, many other things. Uh, I think it's a legitimate uh, uh, idea. We could have done. It could have been, you know. Yeah. Uh, but in a sense, there was a there was an idea that they didn't have to. They didn't have to come out with these extreme uh, sort of positions. Somehow, in their minds, there was this third way, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Th- th- this, you know, building a social consensus yes. that would bring the middle yeah. class on board. They yeah. really did. And and one of the things they thought that they would do is bring the middle class on board. They they did. They passed this law in which there would have been a lot of embezzlement of middle class um, apartments, and he he really fixed that so that uh, these developers were really um, charging you for a, a, an apartment that they were going to build, and then they say, oh. You know, prices went up, you have to pay me double, and things like this. And Maduro changed all that, and he said, and we all thought, well, the middle class is going to come on side. Well, they didn't, you know. And there were so many things that they actually thought that they were, well, we lost the assembly, but, you know, we're going to win that. And they didn't. And so now they know there is no third way, Mm. you know. 
I, I guess that these are the kind of things that you learn by the hard experience of yeah. politics, you know? And maybe you have to try that way yeah. before you get to this point. I think so. I think that he generally thought that he could bring, you know, this uh, opposition into it. And he didn't realize uh, yeah. they I mean, aren't I... your enemy. It's, it's these transnationals. It's yeah. the, uh, the U.S. Embassy. They're going to... Do, I mean, who, who would have thought we'd had paramilitaries yeah. organizing youth on the yeah. street? Right. Because they're not sending the Marines, you realize. Yeah. This is a different sort of, 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 yeah. of war. Um, so... But yeah, I mean, I remember even even at the end of that film, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, when Chavez comes back from mm -hmm. the his imprisonment, his brief imprisonment, and he sits down and he starts talking, because that's what Chavez mm -hmm. does, and he says, you know, I'd like to tell the opposition, if you oppose me, oppose me, that's fine, but do it within the, the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Do it constitutionally. And that just, they will not, they, no. they won't do it. No. Those are not their orders. And when he said to the people, go back to your homes, I've never, yeah. I have never... Don't be poisoned. More, right? Don't be poisoned. No sand and I have never admired him more than yeah. at that moment because yeah. if he had said, go out and get them, yeah. there would have been a bloodbath in that city. Yeah. And this is what we know now. And this is the, 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 the sword that Maduro has put to the opposition. He said... I asked, you asked for, for a, a dialogue. The beginning, they didn't want to do it, and, and they said, all right, we'll give you a dialogue. Sit down at the table of the dialogue. Oh, no, we won't sit at the table of the dialogue. We had three ex-presidents of, of South American countries there. We won't sit at the dialogue unless you bring the Vatican in. Maduro got on a plane. He went to Rome. Yeah, with he this spoke pope, with the Pope. With this, this Pope, that's no problem. Yeah. This fabulous Pope who knows <laughs> all about this. The Pope said, absolutely. He yeah. sent one of his best men to Venezuela. This nuncio is there. We won't sit there with the Pope. The Pope is a communist. <laughs> huh? Right. And so, the end of the dialogue there, right? So, there was no way that he was going to get the dialogue. Meanwhile, this push, the last two months, the, the push for the violence in the streets, and the violence occurs and goes, occurs and goes, all along the, uh, the uh, borders, from Guadalito up to Merida, and then in Caracas. And, if, and the police can't fire at them, because then they become political prisoners, um, and, and, and these focuses are on, uh, are on TV, uh, no, are sent to the um, international media, and it looks like the whole country is on fire, and then the United, the Organization of American States, yeah, with that Luis despicable Almagro. man yeah. Almagro. Yeah. Do you know what they said there? The uh, uh, the Chancellor of Argentina, because we have to try and put Venezuela into a tutelage. Yeah. You know what that means? Yeah. Colonialism. Okay. Yeah. Of course. Um, our representative, who was Moncada, absolutely, uh, you know, cleaned the floor with her with all the things that they have done down there in Argentina. Yeah, Argentina has uh, been know, a complete disaster since disaster. that election. Right? And so this is what they want. They want to do to Venezuela what they did to Greece. Yeah. Okay? They want to take over because it's all about the petroleum. Yeah. Right? And right now... Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's about petroleum and also this incredible hatred of leftism oh. and equality and redistribution yes, of course. everywhere in the world. Of right? course. So, of course that yeah. is that is also part of it. And um the uh, 
the good things, though. What are the good things? You know who was solidly defending Venezuela? The Caribbean. Mm. These little islands who have practically no power, had the power of the vote, and except for three of them, they stood as one in the Organization of American States defending Venezuela, Mm -hmm. saying we must help them now in their hour of need just as they helped us. And they did. You know, and they did. did. Well, of course, you know, Ecuador and Bolivia, uh, and of course, well, Cuba's not in the Organization of American States, but of course, and Nicaragua helped in everything. But I have such admiration for these small uh, uh, nation islands that were that were threatened by the United States, mm-hmm. actually threatened. I, 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 yeah. I've spoken with our representative of the organization, along the corridors, they would go up to these states and say, you will not get a penny yeah. from American foreign aid, well, your people will not be able to send money to you. I mean, this is what they did, there's and they, story. they stood up for Venezuela. There's a story going back... I think to the 90s, maybe the first Iraq invasion in 1990 or 91, and, and the vote came up in the, U, in the UN, and I think one Arab country, maybe it was Yemen, or one of these Arab countries voted against, uh, you know, voted against it, and the ambassador said something like, that was the most expensive mistake you'll ever make, and they, you know, punished them for it. I also, I also remember when, when the government of Haiti was overthrown, and mm-hmm. Uh, Aristide, and, and again, yeah. Chavez supported uh, Aristide and yes. supported the sovereignty of Haiti, and so did the Caribbean countries. Mm-hmm. Aristide went to Jamaica, and basically the Americans pressured Jamaica to make him leave, and then he ended up going to, Africa. to yeah to South Africa. No, it's just terrible, and and they they have really shown they have shown dignity those countries, real dignity. I'm really amazed. So the good thing is that in the United Nations, this was three days ago. Venezuela was named to head the committee that is looking for uh, peace in in in, in, in Palestine. Hmm. The Americans That's were fear the Americans and Canada and of course Israel. You yeah. know the yeah. triumphant yeah. Uh, three uh, were furious, right. and ninety five percent of the countries of the UN voted for Venezuela. So these are the good things. Uh, the Organization of American States is, as Fidel Castro said, no, one of his ministers said many years ago, is the Ministry of Colonization. Mm-hmm. So that we mm-hmm. can forget about them because now there's UNASUR and CELAC, you know, yeah. and yeah. we can forget about the, 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 how awful it is. But in the United Nations, too, we have backing of Venezuela. But the other thing about Venezuela is that you it's very hard to overthrow a, a government that is so popular. Yeah. It's you, possible. It's possible. You have to kill everybody, yeah. you know, yeah. but it is very hard. So it has the backing of the majority. It has the backing uh, internationally of many countries. And so even though they didn't vote uh, in the same numbers in the, in the election for the assembly, they have... There have been huge pro-government demonstrations, right? Huge. Million, like, there have been three... Or three um, um, demonstrations that had more than three million people. Right. Two of them occurred with Maduro. And and the country's population, mm-hmm. for reference, is 22, 25 mm-hmm. million, something yes. like that, right? Um, about, uh, about four weeks ago, I woke up and I saw this picture 
in the Toronto Star it said the opposition takes the streets of Caracas and I saw the picture and yeah. I thought how did this happen yeah so immediately I get on the internet I want to look and then I saw the, the pictures. that was the pro-government demonstration that was just like Trump's uh, inauguration uh, it was a tiny yeah. little street yeah. And when they took the pictures from above, you can see that, you know, they took the camera at this level and they didn't take it at that level. And I sent out a, a, an email to people telling them it's as if someone had done a, a, a demonstration in Mississauga between Huron, Ontario and Dixie or something like that, <laughs> right? Right. And then said, the taken the streets of, 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 of Toronto. Of Toronto, yes. Okay? Toronto, yes. I said, how? How did this happen? I thought, oh, all my political sort of knowledge down the drain. Yeah. How did this happen? Again, for reference, uh, mm -hmm. listeners, Mississauga is a suburb of Toronto. Yeah. It's the suburb I grew up in, actually, so mm -hmm. I understood Maria's reference. Mm -hmm. But in case you were wondering, it's a outer, uh, it's a suburb of, of Toronto. So taking a couple of streets in a suburb of Caracas means you've taken the streets of yes. Venezuela, according to these. So... Here's, you know, you know my friend Manuel Rosenthal, he's oh, a Colombian activist. He, he's been on this show, mm -hmm. uh, we talk, he's been on the show twice, I, he's a kind of a regular guest, and we talk about the role of war, and kind of like how the agenda of war plays out in the mm -hmm. world and in the region, and there's been a peace agreement in Colombia, and, mm -hmm. and the kind of importance to the war industry and the, the kind of militarist political faction of North America, of, of, the U, of the U.S. in particular, could, if there's an interest in a perpetual war, in there, mm. in there being a war going on somewhere, mm -hmm. like, both of us are really concerned that Venezuela is going to be that front. Mm. Like, if they do somehow get oust this government, the population of Venezuela isn't going to take that no, kindly. No. And then they would potentially get the civil war that they've been desperately trying to get. This is what they want. They want yeah. a civil war, and then they want to say, look, this is civil war. Yeah. This country cannot be governed. It has to have a tutelage. Yeah. Uh, somebody has to go in. It'll be Colombia who will come in yeah. to help, you know, because yeah. we have the great humanitarian, yeah. you know, uh, assassin that is uh, Santos. And with the seven bases that they already have in Colombia, uh, we will go in there to save lives. And the Haitian precedent is there. The United Nations is continues, I don't know, 11, 10, 11 years later to uh, occupy, well, I guess Haiti. the mission has recently changed, but yeah. yeah. That's what happened to There's, Haiti, yeah. you know? And that's what so they, they want. Tutelage. They want uh, Venezuela. They want Venezuela because of the oil. Yeah. And they are already in their minds dividing up which, which international petroleum company is going to get which of the parts of the petroleum. Mm -hmm. But um, when you have a people that has learned the, the ideology of the revolution, that have the consciousness, I have had conversations with people in the barrios mm -hmm. about geopolitics right. that, that stun me, right. that fill me with such, I don't know, elation is the only thing I can say. It says, I am here. A PhD, right? Mm -hmm. With all that I have learned in school. And I am talking with this person of the people who, yes, you know, has education of some sort, 
but knows what is happening, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, it's really quite extraordinary, the role that the communal councils, that the communes, mm -hmm. that the um, that uh, the Pesuv has done. It, these people are not uh, naive or or unknowledgeable of what is going on. And the Maduro years yeah. have shown to them the real face of the opposition. Right. They no longer believe in these uh, in their in their leaders. They already believe that these people have, are doing these very negative things, you know, with these uh, supposed protests, which are really in, in insurrections. And they have threatened the people, go, they're going to get rid of the, these Cubans, which means, of course, the doctors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when they say we're going to get rid of the Cubans, the people are thinking, they're going to get rid of my doctor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, have, I had a long conversation, almost half a day, with a person in the opposition, and he says to me, children now, can't go to school, but they're so hungry. I said, oh, really? I said, did you know that uh, that Venezuela has received two uh, encommendations of the FAO because it has practically eliminated child malnutrition? Oh, that can't be. I said, how many schools have you been to? Because I've been to the Bolivarian schools. They get a, a hot breakfast, a hot lunch, and before they go, they get a nutritious snack to take home. Did you know that? Of course, he didn't know. It didn't change his mind. No. Okay. FAO is probably right. communist now in his yeah. mind. That's and just like that, I went through many of the. Mm -hmm. Did you know that we don't have any illiteracy? You know, where did you get this data? You know, I mean. Yeah, of course. Uh, so what I am trying to say is that it will be very hard. It will not be easy if they try to create this um, uh, this civil war it will create a regional conflict. That's why Maduro came up with the idea of the, Constitution, uh, of the um, Constitutional Assembly. Because it's his last card. Mm -hmm. What does he have to eliminate? First of all, they have to change the penal code. Mm -hmm. We don't have a definition of what is a terrorist. In 1999, we weren't thinking of that. Right. Huh? Uh, we don't have... Uh, uh, laws against hitting a, a, or killing a policeman or a guard. You know that yeah. that there is special in Canada. Everywhere you go, you, you know you you can slap a, you know a, a citizen, and you know there will be a penalty. But you slap a policeman, yeah. there is a bigger penalty. Oh, yeah. And these are the things that we have to put in there. This isn't this isn't dictatorship. This is what other countries have. Yeah. Um, we have this uh, the fact that. Uh, uh, people can be seen to commit a crime, and the uh, the attorney general decides, "Oh no, I'm not going to investigate that one." Right. You know, like sh uh, you can sh pick yeah. and choose what you're going to investigate. So we have to change these kind of things. Um, people are fed up with the impunity. Uh, the 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 now head of the assembly, uh, Julio Borges, went before the European Parliament. He's the president of the National Assembly. He goes before the European Parliament to say, would they please help them against the dictatorship? And what do they say to me? This a very strange dictatorship. You are the leader of, of the legislature. You're not dead. You're not in jail and you've come here. This is a very strange dictatorship that you have won the Assembly out of 
these 18 years, 20 elections, what it, kind of would, dictatorship is this? It would be this? so embarrassing if there was anybody to hold them accountable. In terms but of there's media. no law against that. Yeah. What would happen here if we had a member of parliament go before the parliament of, of Europe and, and just go say that Justin Trudeau is a dictator? I mean, just think of that. Uh, this is what they are doing. That They would go to the United States and ask for money so that they could, they they could fight the, and yeah. get it yeah. and, and fight the government. Uh, it's supposed, so people are fed up. Uh, the, you know, the laws of uh, this, uh, these people out on the street, if they catch them, then they say they're political prisoners. Uh, they have to really change all this. So he says, right, you didn't want the dialogue. Uh, you didn't want this third way. We're going to let the people decide. Right. You won't dialogue with me, right. Maduro. You're going to dialogue with the people. Right. And so right now, I will tell you, it has been such a, a good thing that he has done. He has been so accepted that I'm going to tell you how many. There's going to be 545 people elected to okay. this to assembly, right? Well, they're going to be elected according to a jurisdiction, you know, a territorial yeah. jurisdiction, and according to sectors. So you're going to have the campesinos, you're going to have the workers, you're going to have the the, the students, all of these. So 18,976 candidates have signed up. Including from the opposition? Are they, are they oh, going yeah, to From wherever they, yeah. they, they are. They've signed up for the 364 uh, uh, places for the jurisdictional territorial uh, candidates. 35,438 candidates for the sectorial ones. There's okay. 173 places. And eight indigenous people who will be elected according to their own, um, their, their own customs. So these is an amazing number. The, the, the electoral council was astonished that so many people just ran to sign up you know, to be in that uh, assembly. So it has turned out to be extremely pop popular. Mm -hmm. I, I was uh, there listening to uh, a big meeting where they were talking about this, and the people were really pumped up, and they said, you know, we're going to go to that constitutional assembly. We're going to save the country. Wow. Hmm? Right. It will be the people who are going to save the country. We're going to save the country for peace. We're going to stop this conflict. I mean... It was amazing to me. You know, I, I've worked with the public participation mm -hmm. and public consultation for projects here in Canada and whatever. And I've worked also with public participation when I worked in the legislature in Ontario. And I have never seen the type of participation that there is in yeah. Venezuela. You know, so I have every confidence that this... Uh, oh, by the way, the, the Constitutional Assembly is going to talk about nine specific... Areas. It is not true that it is so that Maduro can stay in power right. until he's an old guy. Right. Uh, it, it has to do with changing the the the, um, the judicial, to changing the penal um, code, uh, to reaffirm peace, um, to co make the misiones constitutional because they're always saying they're going to get rid of the cons of, of the misiones. The, very important. They're going to constitutionalize the communes and right. and the and the communal councils. So this is a way of uh, transforming the state. You know, Chavez used to say that. But you remember, Chavez said and won the elections 
in 2005 for socialism. Right. In 1999, we hadn't said this. Right. He became convinced in 2005. And one of the things that Chavez said is, we've got to transform the bourgeois state. Right. Nobody quite knew how we were going to do this. And as he was president, it became really hard to change those ministries and these kind of things. This is the last uh, attempt. This is the last kick of the can right. to change that bourgeois state. So, Maria, so many of the things that we talked about today are so different from what people, including, I think, listeners on this show, could encounter if they try to find it even in progressive media, even in The Guardian or what have you. Uh, where, do you where should people, English speakers, go to try to get information on what's going on in Venezuela. So I tell people Telesur, English, and, which is which I also write for from time to time, mm -hmm. and uh, Venezuela Analysis. Venezuela Analysis is very good. They speak English. Um, if they send an email to the Circulo, we, we, we send out a lot of information. Okay, I'll, um, I'll, put, I'll include that link on the, on the page. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, the, uh, the Louis Riel, this okay. is an L, um, and asked to be put on our um, mailing list. English mailing list. I could send, I could send them because I get information straight from uh, from Venezuela, and I try to um, circulate that. Um, it is very hard because there is a a media wall mm -hmm. surrounding Venezuela, mm. and. You know, uh, newspapers like The Guardian, for heaven's sake, mm -hmm. are, are, are just relying on these American uh, versions of what is happening. I don't think anybody's gone down there and spoken to the Bolivarians. And it's really very sad uh, because the Bolivarians aren't the richest. They aren't of the upper class. They don't have these uh, connections with the, uh, with the media giants. And it's yeah. been... But right now, so the hardest, the hardest thing to do is to deal with this. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's so lazy of journalists because when I went there, you know, you just, you, people want to talk to you. Oh, yes. You know, there's no difficulty. There's no danger. It's not no. like trying to go to Syria and yeah. get your head chopped off yeah. by the jihadis or something. Yes. It's like, these are just people, yeah. just like you'd encounter in your own city. You can just talk to them and find out what they think. And everybody wants to talk. <laughs> yeah, everybody wants to talk. It's just... it's Everybody's an expert and everybody wants to talk. It's, un it's unbelievable. We have no uh, media outlet in Canada that has a reporter anywhere near Venezuela. Yeah, and I mean, I have America. to tell you, like, when we were there, I think, for the recall referendum, and we talked to... We talked to Western reporters. I don't want to like name particular outlets or whatever, but but the ignorance and the just the how propagandized they were to not be able to see what was right in front of them. Mm -hmm. It just it was astounding. It was like I almost want to say I don't even know whether going there would help. Some in some of these cases, they yeah. can go there and miss the point. They have blinkers on, you yeah. see, and then they feel that they're so sophisticated. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I know exactly what's going on yeah. here, and they have no idea. And oh. you know, it's it's a different political culture down there. 
Well, you, you know. but it, look, even in our political culture, like I, we, this, we're recording this the day after the UK election. Mm. And I mean, the number of people just who said Corbyn is unelectable, he's <laughs> yes. too far left, he's unelectable, including, again, The Guardian, yes. you know, deserves special honorable, mm-hmm. dishonorable mention here. Mm-hmm. And they're not right about their own culture. Mm-hmm. So how are they going to get it right? I don't know. It's just, it's, it's ideology, really, it at is. the end of the day. It is. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not a failure to go or a failure to talk to people. It's a failure to see data that doesn't correspond to what you already believe in. It's a sorry state of journalism that we have right now. It really is. Here and there and everywhere. Um, the time of Bernstein and what's his name is gone um, because I think everybody has lost sight of trying truly to find the truth. I have given up writing to the uh, Star or the Globe and Mail or to the CBC. I say to them, you know, when you look for the truth, you have to look at several sources. Would you like, you know, some other sources? I'm very happy to give it to you. No answer. It doesn't, you know, they don't even say Whereas thank if, you. Whereas if, I bet you, I mean, I don't think we can do this experiment, but I bet you if you, as a Venezuelan credentialed academic were to say Maduro has become a dictatorship they would be beating down your door they'd be right there yeah, there would be a press conference yeah. in your living room they'd be right there it is true it is very sad but I have every confidence that this assembly this constitutional assembly uh, it, it, it's going to change the rules and I'll tell you why I spent about half a day with a person who is actually related to me and who is uh, you know, completely the opposition takes me over to his house and his building. He has a he has two houses right there, and he has these three buildings which he built, and uh, beautiful gardens. And he said, "The middle class is suffering so much." <laughs> I said, "I used to have four gardeners, and I only have one." Ah, now. yes, the gardeners. <laughs> yeah. And he says this to me with Without a straight any face. Okay, at all. and I said, "That's too bad." Anyway, I spent a very difficult half a day with him. And when I left, he said to me, I want this to be known, by the love I have for you, my dear cousin, whom I love as a sister, do me one favor. And I said, yes, of course, what favor do you want? When you go back to Toronto, declare yourself against the Constitution. Oh, is that all? Is that all? I laughed in his face. I laughed in his face. Okay. Buddy, I think that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you very much. I've taken a lot of your time. Thank you very much. Oh, it's been my pleasure, and I thank you for giving me this opportunity.